Hey y'all, it's Danielle. And Tykeen and I want to welcome you to episode 22 of Ain't No Free Lunch. Can y'all believe that it's actually been over a year since we started this podcast? Yeah, we can't either, for real, for real. Well, for the big two, two, we delve into a little bit of my hometown's past and present with the discussion of the possible re-implementation of Project Exile in Richmond, Virginia. Heads up, Coop and I aren't the biggest of fans, but you probably already knew that. Shout out to all of you who've been hanging in there with us as we appreciate the faith and the loyalty as we go through these, oh, we'll call them transitions. All right, y'all, let's eat. <laughs> Your haircut looks nice. You know, it doesn't even sound right getting a um, like a compliment from Danielle. What do you mean? <laughs> I compliment you all the time. I think question mark at the end of that. Don't I? No, nah, you know we troll each other all the time, so it's like never a compliment. Yeah, no, that's actually part of what makes our relationship flourish in the way that it does is that I'm able to come at your neck. As often as I am able to, and you return the favor in kind. Absolutely. So, Coop, where you been? Well, you know, the month of June, I was riding my bike, but I've been around. The listeners want to know where have you been? Have you been around? I've been present and ready. I've been around, you know? Nah, you were on that bike. So tell 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 them about your escapade. It's actually pretty impressive. So... I'm a relatively new cyclist, but I had a goal of riding 500 miles and raising $500 for pediatric cancer in June. Mm-hmm. And I rode 508 miles and raised over $1,000. And so Danielle set a personal record and we rode 42 miles together. So that, yeah, nah, that was not a game. I hated my life for like the next three days after that. My knees literally just stopped hurting maybe on Monday from that bike ride. Yeah, so I thought that uh, we would ride like 20 or 25 miles. So we got out about 12 and a half miles, like ready to go back. Like we stopped and got Gatorade. And she was like, no, we're going to keep going. So then she was like, I want to ride 40 miles. I was like, yeah, sure. And so she hated me all the way back, but uh, we did it. I don't even know why you let me do that, honestly. So we're going to do 50 in August. No, actually, we're not. I am hanging up my bicycle uh, for long treks. Anything 10 miles and under, I got you. I got you. I'll hit you on your, your leg back. That 10-mile back ride, I will motivate you. I got you. That's what friends are for. I mean, you need to come out here. Like, you can join the life. Like, you can really get into the cycling stuff. I'm really not trying to, but I really, uh, <laughs> I really admire you for taking that plunge. But it's it's not for me. No, no, thank you. Yeah. So appreciate you. Danielle gave me two compliments in the same day. Like, it, we probably gonna have a tornado or something. But. Wait, I complimented you twice today? Yeah, you did. No, I didn't. What did I say? I ain't. No, I didn't. 
See, I said you had your haircut looks nice. Oh yeah. Is that two compliments or one? Yeah, I mean, coming from you, yeah, that's a compliment. <laughs> Y'all have no clue. Danielle really just comes in my neck for no reason. For all the reasons. Every time I come at his neck, I feel like I feel like the people know because they've heard us come at each other on this show. There's always a reason. Always a reason. I stand by it. I was I was five minutes late the day we rode bikes. And I had to hear all this mouth for three minutes of the five minutes it took me to get there because she didn't know where she was in her own city. Number one. And oh, no. where I was time out. <laughs> I totally knew where I was. You didn't know where I was. Mind you, I stayed put. You had to find me. Anyway, speaking of your city. I was just thinking that my heart just got so sad. Danielle's about to move across the country. I bought a one-way ticket probably like, what, two days ago? Um, And I was the blue one. So if people don't, if you don't know, I love the movie Inside Out. And so I have been characterizing my feelings (laughs) based on... (laughs) <laughs> the the movie since I saw it. And so usually like at work, everyone calls me the yellow one, Joy. But I was sadness. I was really emotional. I'm not I'm not ready for this life. And and she calls uh, someone else corny. <laughs> she was I was the blue, the blue one. one. Shout out to Miss Cod. Shout out to Miss Tolliver. Shout out to Miss Wilson. They understand. Okay. Yeah. It's I'm how a- we identify ourselves at school. I'm a shout out Bouchaw Middle School. Yeah. Yeah. I visited Bouchaw back in June and it was it was an experience. We don't really have to go into <laughs> we don't really have to go into detail about how much of an experience it was. But yeah, Coop was definitely our commencement speaker. So thank you for that. For yeah. Our- I, I have a genuine appreciation for uh the the work that you all do. let's just talk about real quick how I've told Coop so many stories about like working in the inner city and what it entails and this, that, and the third. And I thought that she was exaggerating, but she wasn't exaggerating about one thing. Not at all. Dassey to tell me that he thought that I was making it up. No, this is real life. This is real life. What we do in the bottom is real. South side. It is not for the weak. You just can't walk in my school and teach. <laughs> yeah. You can. You won't. End, you won't last. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Man. All right. Let's go ahead and jump into this. We've been gone too long. People don't care about what's going on in our lives. They care about the, the truth, the topics, what makes us. I don't know. Tick. I don't. I don't know. I was trying to go somewhere with it. I didn't really. It didn't really work out. So, uh, Danielle, Tykeen. I've been hearing some rumors, rumors, rumors about the city of Richmond. Do you remember that Lindsay Lohan song, Rumors? 
No, no. I, I never okay. got into Lindsay Lohan. I, I was a big fan after Paratrack. But okay, back Sorry. to the city of Richmond. Sorry, started playing relate. in my head. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I can't relate. So, yeah. <laughs> so, I've been troubled by some of the things I've been hearing coming out of Richmond over the past few weeks. Mm-hmm. You and me both, actually, talking about my hometown. Yeah, your city. First of all, you know, the street committee kind of talks to me sometimes. Okay, okay. And the street committee has told me some things that law enforcement did after the state trooper was killed in Mosby Court. Okay. Actually, that, I don't know about all of this. I mean, I know about the, the trooper who was killed in Mosby Court, but. Yeah, apparently the city did. The rumor is that the city did some things that was quite unethical. Are you surprised? I'm very disappointed in those. I'm not decisions. surprised at all. But uh, I won't speak on that until I do some further research. Yeah, you do some research and then you come back and you let us know because the people deserve the truth. Facts. But uh, when I was a kid, I remember they had this program in Richmond, Project Exile. And like they had all of these commercials. And because of those commercials, I also remember this other commercial with Joe Morrissey. You know, mm-hmm. and I think Project Exile helped propel Joe Morris into a household name around Virginia. Okay, but nevertheless, I've been troubled. So you know, I was eight, nine years old. I really couldn't wrap my mind around the impact of Project Exile. I just knew that you couldn't have a gun in the city of Richmond. That that was my understanding of it at the time, and I hear that they're trying to bring it back. So let's. Let's let's talk about a couple things real quick. So I've heard this too. And actually it caused me to spit out my milk in the morning over breakfast when I read about it in the Richmond Times Dispatch. Like, okay, I don't really drink coffee, so I was drinking milk, you know, keep the bones strong. That the children anyway. give her. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, no, school milk is the most poppinest milk on the planet. Poppinest. Okay? Wow. Most most poppinest. Okay, carry right, on. That's please. off topic, but anyway. So I'm reading this article in the Richmond Times Dispatch. I don't remember who wrote it, but I remember like literally almost spitting out my milk because I was so furious. And then you texted so, me about an open letter. Yeah, I texted you about an open letter, which I ended up not even writing because I have like ten thousand things on my plate. But if we're I doing had this, more free time, I'm sending this to them. By the way, okay, that's fine. That's fine. We have to tell them what point to like fast forward to because they really won't. If they have to listen to what we talked about at the beginning, they're not going to finish it. Anyway, so before we even get into like my feelings about Project Exile, which I'm pretty sure people who are listening can tell that I'm not the biggest fan. Let's give them a little background because as we know, shout out to SoundCloud and its stats, not all of our listeners are from Richmond or even Virginia. We've got listeners that are from all over the place, the United States, internationally, what have you. We're global, baby. Okay, barely global, but we're global. I I, I stamp that. (laughs) Claiming it. (laughs) so project exile is a federal program that was first initiated first started in richmond virginia in 1997 so as coop said like he was eight or nine in 97 i'm half in 97 i'm six half in 97 i'm seven so honestly i do not have much of a recollection of project exile at all 
right? I do, I know, I know reading up on it and things like that, that over time, as I've gotten older, I've realized that this is something that I'm not a fan of. But in 97, was I cognizant of what was happening? Nah. Neither was I. So, I, I just remember seeing the billboards and the commercials on TV. Right, right, right. And so, which was a huge part of it. The media was a huge part of it. So let, let's like backtrack and tell them a little bit about yeah. like why it was necessary. Yeah, yeah. let's talk about Richmond in the early 90s. Shout out to the Cap City. So... This was before RVA, before, you know, gentrification and stuff. Richmond is what we're talking about. The R. <laughs> <laughs> so... Project Exile was initially established because of Richmond's homicide epidemic in the early 90s. Yep. Um, Richmond, roughly 200,000 residents, had one of the highest per capita rates in the U.S., peaking in 1994 with 161 homicides. Right. And that 161 homicides in 1994 basically is what um, brought about Project Exile, or yeah. brought about the talks of Project Exile. So that's where we got our nickname, uh, too, actually. A lot of people, if you're from Richmond or you've been around Richmond, you might have heard it ever being called the murder capital of the South, which is a completely unfortunate nickname, or Cap City, um, which is what I call it just now, which is can be attributed to both you know Richmond being Virginia's capital city, but then also uh, it really came to prominence during the time period where we had that high murder rate period as a result of gun violence, you know, aka bust the cap and so but such and such suits whatever and so so there was one year i think richmond was actually the murder capital of the war of the country i am not familiar with that but i know that we've definitely hit we we definitely hit top five minimally yeah. if not that top spot it, it was pretty given that the, you know like you said we had two hundred thousand residents um per capita 161 homicides in one year is just out of control yeah, so in 1994, that was the year that, like, all hell broke loose in Richmond, basically. Oh, yeah, we hit rock bottom. Member of city council went to rehab for heroin addiction. Uh, another city council member faced legal actually for being a slumlord. Yeah, which my family actually knows that person because I remember, even though I was seven, I remember it being like a huge to do about like, oh my gosh, I didn't know it was over until I got older. But yeah, he was renting out condemned properties and like not paying utilities. It was kind of problematic. Well, extremely problematic. Yeah. Uh, also in 1994, Richmond recorded the nation's 19th largest population decline since 1980. And we were at the bottom of Money Magazine's best places to live list, <laughs> all on top of our super high murder rates. Shout out, Richmond. Yeah. So Project Exile began in 1997, which was the Clinton administration. Yes, it was, which makes sense, given what we know about like harsher, you know, sentencing, mandatory, Ma mandatory minimums, all of that being advocated by the Clintons with an S, Hillary included. Janet Reno was the attorney general. Mm -hmm. um, and so essentially this program said that persons caught carrying illegal firearms lost their right to remain in the community of convicted and was charged with the federal crime and sent away to a federal prison. Right. And so, so basically, this said that people that should have been charged in like Richmond City courts 
their crimes escalated to federal penitentiary, to the federal Absolutely. system, and they went to the federal penitentiary. Right. And so under the law, basically, I mean, that's uh, not even like underneath the project. It says Project Exile. Exiled. The convicted person is going to be exiled from home. And I, I'm very conscious about saying convicted person instead of like criminal, because as we all know, some people are convicted of things that they should not be convicted of. Right. Um, so I want to be very conscious in the words that we use. But Coop actually corrected me in this. I originally thought that the closest federal prison to Richmond, Virginia is in the Southwest portion of the state. So that's, I think it's Lee. And it only opened in 2002. The Southwest portion of the state is roughly six hours away from Richmond. So if you got sentenced under this federal crime, which mostly was happening in the city of Richmond, you're going to have to, in order to, wherever you're going to be placed in jail or prison, federal prison would be roughly six hours away. But Coop, you told me that there's a federal prison in Petersburg. Yes. Well, it's called FCI Petersburg, but it's actually in Hopewell. So it's like 25 miles south of the city of Richmond. Okay. Yeah, I wasn't aware of that. However, I don't, there are two things. I don't think that prison was open when Project Exile was active. And right, number two, the, I don't think people convicted under Project Exile would be eligible to go to FCI Petersburg because okay. it's like low and medium security. Mm -hmm. And so the the prison that I was talking about, that only opened in 2002. So, you know, we only I don't know how far away these people would be being sent from their communities, um, which I can go on about. We're going to talk it. We're going to check it at the solutions, why this is an issue, you know, pushing people away from their communities when they've committed crimes. We're going to talk about that a little bit later, but um, it's definitely a huge, huge problem. Yeah. And so D.C. and Richmond has some not D.C. and New York City has similar programs, but. I don't think either was as aggressive as Richmond's was. Right. Richmond is kind of like the big caboodle. Yeah. That's not, is that, is that a phrase? Caboodle? Uh, big shebang. I'll go with big shebang. Yeah. I mean, and then the thing about it is like when we're talking about this, why should our out of state listeners care? Well, I'll tell you why you should care. In March of 2017, so that's roughly five months ago, U.S. Attorney General Jeff Sessions, who we all <clears throat> love and respect so much. Speak for yourself. Um, I hope you can hear the sarcasm. Uh, he came to Richmond back in March of 2017 and basically was quoted as saying that he hoped to not only get Project Exile up and running again in Richmond, but to bring it to a national scale. So if you are caught with an or someone is caught with an illegal firearm, not only do they lose their right to remain in the community when they are imprisoned or um, and then also there's a mandatory minimum sentencing of roughly five years. Yeah. And so it's interesting to me that Richmond. Especially politically is a Democratic stronghold. It is. I mean, most major urban areas, cities are, are going to be yes. Democratic strongholds. Um, but we have a, a Democrat as mayor. We have a Democratic government. You know, all of our statewide seats are held by Democrats in Virginia. Right. And for them to be so willing to work with 
sessions on a program that we know has been in a hindrance to people of color speaks volumes to me about their vision or lack thereof for the Commonwealth of Virginia. Oh, absolutely. I mean, to and to be fair, like the project has been adopted by other locales, like Atlanta has adopted it, although under a different name. Rochester, New York has adopted it also under a different name. Proponents of legislation basically are try to voice that the black community in particular was most devastated or is most devastated by gun violence, you know, uh, roughly in, I think it's in that late 90s period, roughly 80% of all the homicide victims in Richmond were black during this crime wave, okay? Given that black people are often a democratic stronghold, shout out to all the black women, 96 percentile of us who did not vote for Donald Trump. I will not let anyone forget that. I they Sometimes it becomes a very racialized issue. So, you know, when you make that well, point- Well, Richmond was predominantly black in the mid 90s as well. Um, it's still predominantly black. It's roughly 60% black, the actual city. Once you get, you know, when you add in like the greater Richmond area, it's not, it's n- it no longer becomes uh, majority black, but it definitely is majority black right now in 2017. Right. And so like a lot of the proponents, not only are they capitalizing or pushing it in terms of saying that, you know, this is something that's devastating the black community, but then they're also saying that half of the victims of gun violence during that time period, you know, they had no prior criminal record. And most unfortunately, they were, a lot of them were innocent bystanders of drive-bys. So, um, you know, that during that period, we also had a huge gang resurgence. So... Basically, the logic of the goal of Project Exile, from what I understand and what people are trying to, the Democrats who are trying to push it right now are saying is that it's an attempt to remove the criminals with guns, the people who are committing gun violence, essentially. Yeah, so some of those people, so the mayor has not said anything about it. So the mayor is a... is a black man in Richmond who I think has a political future. And I think that he will tread very lightly on this. However, the Richmond Commonwealth attorney, which is our district attorney in other States and Virginia, we call him Commonwealth attorney. Who's also a black man, Mike Heron. He's come out and basically said, we have no other choice. And the chief of police, who's also a black man, who's actually from DC chief Durham He's been like pushing for this program for about two years. Which, oh, absolutely. Which is interesting because Chief Durham and I sat on the criminal justice reform panel two years ago and we were kind of singing the same song and it definitely wasn't Project Exile. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that before we kind of go a little bit further into it, we probably should give a little bit of history about like how we got to this point in Virginia. Mm-hmm. So... Project Exile is supposed to deter would-be offenders with unyielding and long sentencing requirements, kind of like intimidation. It um, is intimidation. And so something else, regardless, well, you know, if since this is a federal crime, if it becomes mm-hmm. a federal crime, at least they'll be eligible for parole, which right. parole, we no longer have parole in Virginia. Nope. And that started with our former governor, George Allen, mm-hmm. who has been an open racist. 
he campaigned mm-hmm. on um, ending parole and being tough on crime. He wanted to be the law and order candidate. He was the conservative darling in the, of the 90s. And you all can go check the receipts. George Allen had a, he had a number of private prisons contribute to his campaign for governor. Mm-hmm. He ran against a woman. Does this sound kind of familiar to you? Like presidential oh, election absolutely. last year. Yeah. He ran against a woman named Mary Sue Terry. He ended parole, which we increased the bed populations of our incarcerated people in, in Virginia. And then we started opening private prisons. So he kind of helped those people that helped him. So George Allen has subsequently. So in Virginia, you can only run for governor. You can't serve two consecutive terms. No, you can't. So he left the governor's mansion and ended up running for what did he run for first? I think he ran for Senate. I, I think he was congressman. Then he he won Senate, actually. Mm-hmm. And he I lost in 2012 to Jim to Tim Webb. Kane. Oh, Jim Webb. You're right. You're right. No. It was to Tim Kaine, I thought. He lost to Jim Webb in 2006, and then he lost to Webb in 2012. No, he lost to Webb in 12. <laughs> <laughs> he lost to Webb in 6 and Kane in 12. That's what the, I thought. I definitely thought he ran against Kane. So but, here are a couple things that he's George Allen has said over the years. He killed a, a female deer and asked his friends, where do the black people live? And then he put the deer, like he cut the deer's head off and he put the head in the black family's mailbox. So today that would be considered a hate crime. Can we also point out that he did, I mean, Tim, Tim Kane won by the skin of his teeth. against george allen it was not a sweet after he's going to name all of these things but like let's just be aware that this was not an easily won senate bid yeah so he used the n-word around the black college teammate who he also told that he moved to virginia because the blacks know their place there Mm. he said that uh he there was a turtle one time and they said why don't you kill and eat these turtles and George Allen said, we don't eat them. The N-words eat them. He was asked if he had Jewish ancestry, and he recalled as if he had been struck and accused the question of casting up aspersions. So, like, he has a history of being someone that uh, focuses on race a lot. and I, In a negative I, way. And I don't was- think it's a coincidence that he was a proponent of Project Exile. Wasn't he caught? Wasn't he caught on tape using a like a racial slur towards an American Indian? Yes, I'm pretty sure. Like I, you yeah, he definitely was. YouTube that. Yeah, he was. Uh, but yeah, it's. I mean, George Allen. It, there's no doubt in my mind that this definitely has like a racial slant for him. But I did want to note for people who are interested in any type of work workable action, there was a time period where. Virginia, um, the Virginia courts were not notifying juries that parole had been abolished in Virginia under George Allen. And so there is a resurgence and a piece of legislation, I think, that is trying to be, I don't know if they're trying to pass it, what they're trying to do with it, but basically saying that all convicted persons who received a sentence, but their juries were not notified of parole, they might be eligible for a retrial, which is actually something that my brother 
who is in a state prison might be eligible for. Yeah, because prior to this program in the mid to late 90s, when they abolished parole and such, Virginia, you only had to complete 65 percent of your time. Now it's 85 percent. Also, if you had a life sentence, you were eligible for parole after 15 years prior to this. Right. Yeah. Not anymore. But anyway, so this is rolled out, you know, obviously very intentionally. Um, They it's basically mass produce for like huge media campaign for like 1997, right? Their goal, what they said was to educate citizens about these lengthening federal prison sentences for gun crimes, X, Y, and Z, trying to deter people. As we know, deterrence doesn't always work, especially when the underlying problems are not just guns or illegal guns in communities, but all sorts of things. And if you just try to punish those who do wrongs without addressing the inherent issues that are at the core, you're really not going to end up doing anything. But some argue that the program never ended. There's some debate about whether or not Project Exile ended because in 2001, a similar state program called Virginia Exile was instituted. And basically, uh, state and local authorities uh, would meet, do meet bi-monthly and kind of review certain arrests to determine which court to bring cases in to ensure the maximum penalties possible for certain offenses, which to me is ludicrous. Absolutely ridiculous that that's what, you know, they're attempting to do. If justice is going to be served, then justice should be able to be served in any court, no matter the location or who's serving on the bench or whatever, but you don't want me to get into that. So, as Coop was telling you, it definitely does. Like I, when I read in the Richmond Times Dispatch that we had Richmond Police Chief Alfred Durham and Richmond's Commonwealth Attorney Michael Herring, both black men, uh, call for the reinstatement of this program. Basically, I mean, to be fair, Commonwealth Attorney Herring did say that it was a, you know, it was, it was noted that it was very reluctant that he said we had no other choice. This is not something that he wanted, that he's been telling the police chief, police chief Durham, that this is not something that he's a fan of. But nevertheless, he seems like he's kind of come full circle. I think it's also really important to note that the National Rifle Association, also known as the NRA, is a early and vocal supporter of Project Exile, even lobbying the U.S. Congress to secure $2.3 million so that the Project Exile could be replicated in Philly and Camden County, New Jersey, basically saying that it wants to punish all committers of gun crimes severely, especially those having to do with illegal possession, you know, of course, rather than making gun purchases more difficult or, you know, background checks or, you know, mental health checks or, you know, all the things that would make sense as a deterrent, they'd rather kind of be reactive than proactive. Yeah. And so the thing for me, I think all everything considered Project Exile wasn't effective in the 90s well yeah and that's that's the big thing but even before we get to whether or not it was effective let's just rewind they're talking about bringing back project exile in 1994 when we first started having the discussion about project exile we had 161 homicides in 94 i did the research 
I went online. There are public records of every person who has been shot in the city of Richmond and has died as a result of that, uh, as a as a result of that gunshot wound. We have had only 33 gunshot induced fatalities in the city of Richmond, and I say only not to reduce or minimize those, de those deaths because that is not what I'm doing. Everybody's life is important. 33 is 33 too many, but at the same time, you cannot compare. 33 induced gunshot induced fatalities to 161. Yeah, so basically it is not we're, the same thing. So basically Richmond is on pace to have 70 murders this year. Right. Comparatively to 161. Roughly 133 have been shot between January 1st and June 26th, which, you know, obviously no one should be getting shot, no one should be getting killed, but to bring back something that is this huge This is a drastic measure. I'm Yeah, I thought maybe we were in we were we were in the hundreds of people who had been shot, but that's that's not the case. Yeah, so it's almost like Donald Trump threatening to send in the feds to Chicago and Chicago mm. per capita is not even top 10 most dangerous city in the country. Exactly. That, that's the way that I read it. So I think that I was mostly affronted by it because I was like, I'm doing this research trying to figure out where our, you know, our murder rate is and it's nowhere near, especially considering that Richmond has grown since 94, since 97. It, it just doesn't it doesn't make sense. But let's let's go back to what you were talking about in terms of Project Exile's effectiveness, because there are some people who are saying, like, it's super effective. It's the reason why crime rates went down in the city of Richmond. And then there are other people, <clears throat> namely people who use research, um, who understand that it's not necessarily the best move for our city. Project Exile has not been, you know, like some people say, oh, well. Crime decreased in Richmond. We had Project Exile and it was effective. And truthfully, crime decreased nationally. And so I think all of this stuff is cyclical. And so crime was up all over the country in the right. mid to late 90s. Crime decreased late 90s, early 2000s. And so I think a lot of people are like attributing the success of the decrease of crime in Richmond to project exile. And that's just simply not the case. Oh yeah, definitely. And I think it's important to, to note that when it was originally rolled out there, project exile was opposed by some interestingly enough gun rights groups who were afraid that this would then impact what they called good guys with guns, which, you know, I roll. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, you know, black leaders, many black leaders who said that it disproportionately would have affected the African-American Ameri African groups. Not only are we going to, be going to be the victims of gun violence, but we tend to, in those instances, were the people committing it. So it was really, really hard on those communities. You had families against mandatory minimums, that sort of thing. But all of this, like, research comes in. There was a 2003 study of the prison sentence enhancements uh, done. It was done specifically on Project Exile by S Stephen, Raphael, and Johns Ludwig. Again, Jans Ludwig. I apologize if I mispronounced it. That basically concluded, and I quote, however, the impressive declines in gun homicides in Richmond around the time of Project Exile can almost entirely be explained by the fact that the city had 
unusually large increases in gun homicides through the mid-1990s, and that cities with larger-than-average increases in gun, gun homicide rates subsequently experienced unusually large declines, end quote. So they're basically saying exactly what you said. It was a, It's a cycle. And so you cycle in and you cycle out. And there were so many, I mean, there, there's a comment on that same study by Peter Greenwood that, again, goes with that, basically saying that when you compare Richmond to other cities, the decline experienced in Richmond when Project Exile was implemented was no greater than what probably could have been expected without any intervention because cities all over the United States of America, there was a national decrease in gun violence. And, and it, Project Exile didn't do that for all of the, the, the entire nation. Right. So. For me, I think probably the fresh, the real frustration for me comes from the unwillingness to try other programs that I think could be more effective. Absolutely. We're solution oriented podcast. So let's hit them with some solutions as to why Project Exile is not is not the move. It's not the move. Yeah, because it doesn't work. We know it disproportionately affects people of color, poor yep. people, the, the people that can't afford attorneys. Absolutely. So, you know, I alluded to Joe Morrissey earlier when I was a kid. So Joe Morrissey has a checkered history mm. in the public sector. However, Joe Morris used to have a commercial when I was a kid and his little jingle always said he had never lost a jury trial. And so, Oh, I remember that. Yeah. And, and so, you know, the people that could afford like Joe Morrissey, these people aren't being, they weren't convicted as frequently as people that can't, they have these court appointed attorneys, et cetera, et cetera. So, one program that I've seen in other cities around the country, uh, buyback programs, which much like uh, I'm sure almost every city in America now has buybacks for prescription medication that you don't use or that you give back. But mm -hmm. with buyback programs with guns, you there are, grant, there are grants available from the Department of Justice, from Jeff Sessions office. And or what they do, they pay people if you bring in guns. So it doesn't matter if that gun was used for a homicide, anything. They just try they just try to get the guns off the street. And I think that so I can tell you that the Democratic nominee for governor, Ralph Northam, unfortunately he didn't support the program like this in the past. Mm. And hopefully he will now. Um, but I think that's one solution that we can definitely try. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's important that we explain a little bit in a, a tad bit greater detail when I say like zero tolerance, like the Project Exile is a zero tolerance policy. If you are caught with an illegal gun, you are going to be sentenced in a federal prison, which puts you at a five year minimum in that federal prison. So not only is it zero tolerance, but then you also have mandatory sentencing. And just looking at those two things right there, that's a massive cost to the community. I mean, these that's a massive cost to the community to keep inmates, yeah. to build prisons, to house them, 
to feed them, to make sure that their medical expenses are paid for. These are tax dollars that people are spending. Now, are they fed? It's a it's a federal prison, yes. But at the same time, these are things that we could be reallocating our money to on both the state and the federal like level. These tax dollars could be going to things like free daycare, which is studies have shown helps with lack of or, or it helps in the long term in terms of breaking the cycle of poverty, okay? Early childhood, public schools, public therapy, drug therapy, or funds to state institutions like universities or that could be directed towards financial support for students who are attempting to pursue post-secondary education. If we become proactive instead of reactive, why don't we make sure that people have lives where they don't want to pick up a gun or don't need to pick up a gun in order to survive on a day-to-day basis rather than just punishing them when they are reacting to the place that they live or the city or the area that they've surrounded themselves with or their their family is like solution number one cut out the mandatory sentences and slide the money to communal efforts that really will cut back on the violence not only that i can't have faith in zero tolerance policies justice is not justice if it does not take in context of what is happening or what has happened in that situation so another former council member from richmond city marty jewel Mm-hmm. who is notorious for his sound bites. I remember one time I was looking at the city council meeting and Marty Jewell said, we got it all backwards. <laughs> 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 and so at this time, the discussion was about building a new jail, which we do have. But Marty Jewell was saying, hey, instead of us spending money on jails and things after people have already kind of gone down the wrong path, like let's be proactive, you know, let's invest in after school programs. Let's invest. Exactly. Let's invest in our school infrastructure. Let's invest in our public transportation. Let's look at community policing, you know? And so if they already work in the beat, people already have relationship and maybe those things can be deterrents. For for people that may be at risk of offending, but absolutely intimidating people into is not a deterrence. It's not. And so I think that under counselor, you know, I think gun violence is a symptom of the problems that really ail our communities. Right. Oh, 100 percent. So. If you have a cough, you don't go to a doctor and say, I have a cough. Like, well, you know, he's looking, why Why are you coughing? Do you have pneumonia? Do you have the flu? Do you have a cold? Like there, And I think that if we just look at this and try to create interventions and remedies and solutions for gun violence, instead of saying, why are people committing gun violence? We are really missing the point. Oh, no, I completely agree with you i think there's like one of the biggest solutions has to be like look let's look at our budget how do we reallocate money but then on the other hand so that's a solution for the front end solution on the back end likewise so project exile within the name it says you're going to be exiled from your friends and family that's part of the deterrence that they've established is we're going to send you away for a very long time uh, far away from your family right Studies and, have, and, well, go ahead. 
And and we know that that's ineffective for anyone that's going to re-enter society. Exactly. Removal from the community does not work. There are studies. Like, y'all, Google is a resource. If you don't trust Google, go to Google Scholar. I don't care. Like, prison visitations greatly improve how offenders are able to transition back into the community after their sentences come to a close. Right? It does, the the word is I can I can never say it recidivism. recidivism. Thank you, recidivism. I always want to say it like recidivism or something <laughs> crazy, but basically like visitations, having visitations, having the opportunity to have visitations, the opportunity to have frequent visitations, directly is all correlated to whether or not a person is more likely to commit a crime and return to the prison system. Okay. Removing people from their community only makes them more likely to commit crimes upon their return to that community. Studies have shown that the more frequent visits an inmate receives are is directly re, re, directly correlated, related, direct, directly correlated, a, related. There's a direct correlation, basically, to the, a decreased risk of that person, you know, returning to prison or engaging in behavior. Engaging behaviors that lead to prison times. And this is coming from someone, me, I'm raising my hand, who makes monthly and sometimes bi-weekly visits to a state prison. Yes. And I see myself how effective it is having that person, you know, having someone know that you care about them and that you're willing to drive the hour, sometimes hour and a half, sometimes two hours, depending on where I'm coming from, to see you. Right. That I'm investing this time, I'm investing this, in, and it keeps that person out of trouble. It keeps them out of trouble in prison, and they don't want to come back because then they see what it does to you to have to make that trip to go visit you and visit them. And they don't want that. They don't. And it, it really, really, it's to remove people from their communities, to deny them their visitations, to push them away for five years minimally. All you're doing is when they get out, they have what reason do they not have to go back in? Right. And so I think that sometimes, you know, in Virginia, we call it going up the road. When people go up the road and, you know, they are disconnected from their community, the people that they love. A lot of times I think they lose, like, as you say, they really don't have an incentive. And so then they say, oh, hey. If you all going to make this difficult on me, I'm going to make it come into work for you like difficult yeah. every single day. And, it, and, and it's first for people who don't understand what it's like. It's hard to understand. But when you look at the number of people who when they get on the inside, they lose hope. They feel like nobody cares. And not only that, but like. Say you get moved away and your family does want to come see you. Many of these people who are being affected by Project Exile are coming from incredibly impoverished communities. So they might have people who might want to see them do well, who might want to see them flourish, who might want to come visit them, but they don't have that transportation services to allow them to visit the people that they love. And it's just, it's, it's egregious to me that this is something that is being considered again for the city of Richmond. And it's inconsistent with everything that they teach about evidence-based practices in Virginia department of corrections, Oh, you know, absolutely. because 
now our moniker, this governor's moniker, as well as the last governor's moniker, was reentry starts when you enter handcuffs. Mm-hmm. And so every decision that they make as far as incarcerated people should be therapeutic and none of it should be punitive. Oh, and absolutely. so prison in Virginia right now is not supposed to be punitive. It's supposed to be a therapeutic. But we know that's just not the case. You know, we definitely know that's not. The and, case. But sending people six, seven hours away at best, best case scenario. Right. We know that's not therapeutic. That's punishment. And I think that we have to change the way that we think about incarceration. But I think Project Exile is definitely the wrong approach for everything that we stand for, that we say we stand for in Virginia. It's 100% irresponsible. It is complete reaction. reaction. It's not being proactive. It's going against like it's going against research, it's going against studies, it's going against common sense. And I think to say that we have no other choice is 100% also irresponsible. I am so disappointed in the Commonwealth Attorney's comments. I'm disappointed in the Richmond police chiefs, you know, pushing for it for the past two years. I believe that there are other options. I feel like people need to I, I just I feel like th- those other options need to be investigated before you reinstate something where you have studies showing that Project Exile, it was not as effective as we would like it to think. And you just don't go slapping something that could have been possibly ineffective as a solution. You, yeah. you just don't. And, it's dangerous. And so like other solutions, and I, I think we've went over some of these before about gun violence and gun safety but why not implement background checks why not let's focus on mental health or behavioral health as we call it sometimes in virginia you know like i like i said earlier i think that we looking for we are looking for an easy way out by saying oh we're gonna stop gun violence no like it's not gonna stop gun violence it's still gonna happen it's just a matter of Oh, well, some of these people that we think may be the problem, it'll just be someone else that kind of fill in the void there. Oh, absolutely. I think that we need to be cautious. We are, this is something that is, you know, the gun violence, as we said, is emblematic of much larger problems. And by sending people away is not going to solve that problem. And if we're really serious about making conscious positive decisions for the growth of not only Richmond, but the entire United States, as we have said before, um, you know, Attorney General Jeff Sessions is looking to push this across the nation. He's looking to push this and he's looking to push stop and frisk. He wants to make those two programs national programs. So we know that the Supreme Court even said that stop and frisk was unconstitutional because there was a disparity in who was stopped based upon where they lived and the color of their skin. So basically, Jeff Sessions is advocating for programs that will stop people that look like me and hope they have a gun so they can lock them up for a very long time, which 
I have some opinions on why he may want to do that, but we won't delve into that today. Yeah. So, um, this is, I'm glad we're back about time. I'm glad we're doing this. Uh, <laughs> it's been far too long and I'm not even going to say we're going to be better about it. Cause I feel like we've made a whole lot of promises and we haven't been better about it, but we're going to work towards it. I think that, yeah, it's good. It's good to be back. It's good to be talking about something that matters. I hope this is something that, you know, people can get juiced up about that, you know, we start writing letters once I get the time or making phone calls to the Commonwealth attorney, to the police chief, to wherever locale you are, you know, call wherever you live, call and tell people, hey, Project Exile is not something that I want to see. I don't care if you rename it. It's not something that I want to see in my community. Facts. I'm so. sending the link of this to Chief Durham. And he need. I hope he listens. Shout out to you. I'm gonna send it to Mayor Stoney as well. Yes, please feel free to contact us at you know on Twitter at Ain't No Free Lunch to hit us up at the G- on Gmail Ain't No Free Lunch Podcast at Gmail dot com. You can hit up Tykeen at Tykeen Cooper on Twitter. I'm D M Green with an E at the end one eight. Please communicate with us. We're trying to communicate with you. This is not something that we want to see in our community. This is not something that we want to see uh, pushed because there are other solutions. Gun help. violence is horrible, but we can fix it in other ways. Help me help you. Exactly. Exactly. So, Coop, do you feel like we ate today? You know, I feel like this was an appetizer because it it's been so long, but. I'm ready to hop back into it. There's a lot to talk about. There's so much to talk about. There's Comey. You got Don Don Trump to, I don't even know. Junior. There you go. <laughs> Who's tripping. Straight tripping. Twitter has been lit lately. I'm not going to lie. I read it like it's the newspaper. I read it instead of the newspaper. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon.